0: This Ukraine crisis as certify the end of an energy system centralized a based on fossil fuel. This is the end.
1: Don't force countries to, in five years or ten years, to get rid of fossil fuels because that's not a reality, unfortunately.
2: People haven't quite used all the tools yet, but they've got the tools out on the workbench. And if people have enough willpower to do it, you know, big things can happen.
3: This is The Lid is On, or the COP27 podcast, if you prefer. I'm Connor Lennon.
4: And I'm Laura Quiñones.
3: Hello, Laura. Now, today it's energy day.
4: Yeah. Are, we, are you energetic?
3: I think I made that joke last year. I, am, I have no <laughs> energy left.
4: That's, I don't remember, actually. It's no, well, it so was so
3: long ago, wasn't yeah. it? Well, I am pretty much out of energy. But only three days to go. Yeah. Apparently.
4: I, yeah, it's been, it's been long but short at the same time.
3: Do you believe there are three days to go?
4: Uh... I don't know. seems a little bit um, complicated. Well, we'll think.
3: come to that a bit later. Another busy day, though. People are still here. It's quite late here in El Sheikh, but it's still packed out there.
4: Yeah, there's a lot of people around. They're um, still
3: selling this. burgers at the Hard Rock Cafe. <laughs>
4: yeah, usually it was just you and me recording this alone, and now it's full of people. Yeah,
3: full of people, and a busy show as well. God, we've got lots to get through today, haven't we? Yeah. We'll be taking in the State of Emissions Reductions...
4: We're also going to talk about an important new deal that happened today in Bali, Indonesia.
3: That's in the G20 meeting, which has been ongoing, and why the war in Ukraine is fueling a mini gas boom, but it's also accelerating the drive towards the clean energy future that we're all looking for. Okay, so Laura, what is a cover text and how far away are we from seeing one at this COP?
4: Uh, Well, uh, the presidency has said that they're finishing the draft tomorrow, so uh, it should be on time for Friday, um, but a cover test is kind of like um, all the political decisions, like the most important decisions that the countries agree on, and they put kind of a list of the things they're gonna they're gonna work on.
3: And we're told that those include a 1.5 warming target, which is a good thing, a renewable energy commitment, and emphasis on doubling adaptation cash to 40 billion. We're told
4: what they published today is kind of what the presidency has spoken with the parties like with the party with the delegations and the head of the delegations and what they want to see reflected in this in this um, uh, text they all want to keep the 1.5 they want to have a renewable energy commitment as you mentioned but in the end we don't really know if these things are going to make it to the final text on friday
3: and there's also a draft text on loss and damage essentially compensating developing countries that have been most affected by climate change
4: Yes, so this was the first time that loss and Damage had an agenda item officially because it was requested by uh, China and the group of the 77, which comprises all of the developing countries. And when you have an agenda item, then you have to respond to this agenda item and put in that document, in this uh, final document of the item, what was talked about or, or what are the agreements related to this. So today uh, the draft text dropped, and it's still pretty raw, uh, in my opinion. It still has some options regarding the loss and damage facility, which is what the activists have been pushing for so, for so long uh, in the past two weeks, well, week and a half. So uh, we have to still wait to see what option they choose, if they choose it, and if it ends up in the final document as well.
3: And whilst we are here in Egypt, the leaders of some of the biggest economies in the world are in Bali. It is the G20 and an important partnership was agreed today. It's the Indonesia Just Energy Transition Partnership. Just give us a summing up of what that is all about.
4: The United States and Japan, as a coalition of countries of the G20, announced that they will be investing $20 billion to sharply reduce Indonesia's reliance on coal and to transition this country to a renewable power. So uh, this is important. Why? Because Indonesia is one of the world's largest consumers of coal and is the fifth largest greenhouse emitter. So, what they're going to do is invest in what they call a just transition, which means going from fossil fuels, in this case coal, to renewable energy in a just way, um, meaning creating new jobs and uh, finding new jobs for the people that are going to be left without them from the coal industry.
3: Well, our colleague, Devi Palanivalu, earlier spoke to Miriam hina She's the head of the UN Environment Programme's Global Climate Action Unit, and she explained the challenges developing countries are facing when it comes to transitioning to clean energy sources.
1: Sometimes priorities for countries is economic growth, which they only get with uh, using fossil fuels. They are still cheap, the technologies are there. There are many power plants. They cannot get rid of these plants from a sudden. So there is this issue on the stranded assets. What to do with this, all these investments, uh, all these technologies that are in place, also capacities? So we cannot get rid of all these things without a strategy for that. So a stranded asset strategy is needed for uh, for our countries that are heavily depending on fossil fuels. That's from the side of put on board adequate legislation for renewable energies, but also uh, legislation adequate for just transition. don't force countries to in 5 years or 10 years to get rid of fossil fuels because that's not a reality unfortunately we are also working with uh, investors and finance um, entities to change mindset they need to realise that their profits depend on the future of the natural resources and actually they need to agree to this fact that their profits depend on the climate on the biodiversity, on the oceans, on everything.
3: That was Miriam Henestroza from the UN Environment Programme's Global Climate Action Unit. Now, back in October, the Emissions Gap Report was released by the UN Environment Programme, and uh, it was pretty bleak. It said currently there are, are no credible pathways to uh, hitting that 1.5-degree target. And we reported on this on UN News at the time... We learned that national pledges to reduce harmful emissions offer little hope of avoiding climate disaster. And UNEP was calling for urgent reform of the energy sector. Inger Andersen, the executive director of the UN Environment Programme, and Simon Steele, the executive director of UNFCCC, that's the UN climate change body, gave opening remarks. Inger Andersen said that this has been a year of procrastination.
5: By 2030, we need to reduce emissions by between 30 to 45%. But since cop 26 we've shaved off 1%. So we have a long way to go. Emissions in 2021 could set a record, and that is deeply concerning. Right now, we are living at an average of 1.1 degrees with the storms, the droughts, the floods, the inundations, the harvest failures, and the people movement that we are already seeing. That, then, does not compute for planet Earth. While 1.5 is still within reach, it is not within reach with the current set of policies that we have. And what does the solution look like across the world? It means shifting the electricity sector. It means shifting the transport sector. It means shifting the building sector. And it means shifting food systems and, of course, the finance sector.
6: The reality is where we are currently at 1.1, 1.2 degrees. For many, it is already a living hell. Make no mistake, life at just 1.5 will already have significant negative consequences for humanity. But every fraction of a fraction of a degree beyond 1.5 increasingly puts human life on this planet in peril. Parties have to be rigorous in their efforts to uphold their commitments in the Glasgow Climate Pact to keep 1.5 in sight, here at COP27 and beyond. I ask parties to ask themselves, how can we do our part to bridge the divide now, here in El Sheikh
3: at COP27? That was Inger Andersen, the executive director of the UN Environment Programme, and Simon Steele, the executive director of UNFCCC, the UN climate change body, emphasising the importance of doing whatever we can to stop global temperatures rising as a result of human activity. Mm -hmm. But there is still hope and optimism, depending on who you talk to. I met Jim Ski. He's an eminent scientist, a professor of sustainable energy at Imperial College London, and he's also the co-chair of the Emissions Mitigation Working Group at the IPCC, That's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the UN body which produces authoritative science-led reports that are informing a lot of policy and discussion at this COP. He pointed to many of the advances in the climate space that have been made in recent years.
2: Some of the messages are all about despair. We are not going fast enough. There's an emissions gap, there's an implementation gap. One of the other things we are trying to emphasise is how much progress has actually been made in the last five or six years since Paris. So we've seen big developments in terms of renewable energy, costs falling, deployment going up. Half the world's emissions are now covered by climate legislation. A-, a fifth of the world's emissions are covered by carbon prices. So people haven't quite used all the tools yet, but they've got the tools out on the workbench. And if people have enough willpower to
3: do it, you know, big things can happen. The message we're getting now is 1.5 is slipping away there's a lot of pessimism now about reaching that target so in terms of the guidance for action
2: which is where i think it really matters now even if we were not to hit 1.5 more mitigation just makes more and more sense to do because of the avoided impacts the co-benefits in terms of sustainable development and we'll avoid bigger costs in the longer term and obviously if if we go over 1.5 it really emphasises the importance of adaptation so on all fronts every fraction of a degree matters just leads you to the conclusion we need to up the action on
3: mitigation and up the action on adaptation We talk about reducing emissions how we actually do it and how we remove excess carbon from the atmosphere it's not just about stopping emissions is it So, tell me from your point of view, is it possible? Right, okay.
2: Well, basically, we will never reach net zero if we do not remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. The options are available, you know, it's just staggering the range of techniques there are for removing carbon dioxide. Some are very technological and engineering focused. and some are more nature-based kind of solutions. And I think a portfolio of carbon dioxide removal options is quite plausible, uh, you know, to actually get to, get to the net zero. I think since the, over the last five years, a lot more interest in nature-based solutions, partly as a reaction to some of the risks of the more engineering-based approaches.
3: Professor Jim Ski reminding us that the tech is there to cut emissions and remove carbon from the atmosphere. Now let's talk about gas, Lara. The UN is issuing regular calls right from the very top, the Secretary General level, for an end to fossil fuels as soon as possible. But on the sidelines here, we've had a lot of discussions about the use of gas, which is sometimes sold as a kind of transitional fuel because it has lower emissions than coal and oil. But it's still a greenhouse gas.
4: Yes, and today I was following a press conference that was held by the Climate Action Network. Um, It was called Gas Prospecting in Africa. So uh, about 50 NGOs last week, they published a report that demonstrated that basically 90% of the fossil fuel companies in the world are still expanding in the African continent is especially worrying because uh, they show that there are new fossil fuel projects in 48 out of 55 African countries. And these projects can be traced to just 200 companies all over the world. And most of them are from United States, China and Europe. They're not even African-owned or headquarter companies. So today the experts from uh, the the German NGO Urgewald, they said that these investments should be going to the renewable side and not the fossil fuel side. And in the long run, these companies, while destroying lives because all these oil and gas explorations cause all sorts of pollution and they're displaced communities and they have a lot of other consequences, well, they might just lose their money because in the future we're all moving to renewables.
3: And that's what I've been hearing today with the people that I've been speaking to. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, yeah, there has been a a, a real hunt for gas. And many countries, particularly in Europe, are looking for ways to reduce their reliance on Russian gas. But I spoke to Simon Evans. He's the senior policy editor at Carbon Brief, a UK-based website with specialist journalists covering the latest developments in climate science, climate policy and energy policy, he said yes the war in ukraine has driven demand but as you were saying lara that demand
7: is not likely to last there's been a lot of discussion heading up to this cop and you know even at the cop about is it okay for african economies with you know endowments of you know of, of gas um, to exploit those resources to you know to to bring energy access to their populations and indeed economic development to their you know to their countries um, and that's taking place in this context of you know global energy crisis, which has been caused by incredibly high gas prices, and where you know the world, uh, world energy outlook from the International Energy Agency came out you know just a you know, matter of weeks before the COP, and was you know basically showing that after a, a decade of absolutely phenomenal global growth in gas demand, you know what they had had called the, the kind of um, uh, golden age of gas that's coming to an end so there's basically no more global growth of gas so there's, there's a bit of a dichotomy between you know countries saying hey we should be allowed to develop our gas and at the same time all the signs pointing towards gas demand effectively plateauing and if countries meet their climate pledges are ultimately starting to fall quite rapidly
3: but we heard today i think you're in the meeting a little earlier today where we heard that there's new prospecting for oil and gas in pretty much every african country going on
7: there is right now a real scramble for, for gas supplies. We've seen, you know, that ultimately, you know, the biggest cause of the global energy crisis is the fact that Russia, the world, formerly the world's biggest fossil fuel exporter, just simply stopped exporting gas to Europe as part of its, you know, its wider strategy, its invasion of Ukraine, and effectively weaponising its energy supplies that's an absolutely massive hole in global energy markets that's just been created. And so, you know, on the, on the consumer side, you've got countries across Europe scrambling to, to fill that, that gap in their in their energy supplies. And then in terms of the producers, you've got countries around the world saying, hey, we want a bit of that, that action, you know, that hole, we, we can fill it. Um, now, I think a lot of that's gonna come into the reality that, you know, actually, if you look at the EU's new strategy in response to the energy crisis, they're actually getting off gas more quickly than before. So while there's, there's this very acute period of a few years where they, need, they desperately need to replace the Russian energy that they were getting and they're not getting any more, but actually in the medium and longer term, they're not gonna need the kind of quantities of gas that, they, that they've previously been using. So you know, con- countries scrambling to, to start exporting new supplies may find that you know, in five, 10 years, the markets that they're expecting to be able to, to you know, sell into just don't exist. That was
3: Simon Evans, Senior Policy Editor at Carbon Brief. Gas might be getting a short-term boost, but the long-term outlook for the industry, according to Simon Davis, is not so rosy. So to dig into that a bit more, I spoke to the head of IRENA, the International Renewable Energy Agency, and his name is Francesco La Camera. IRENA was the first international organisation to focus exclusively on renewable energy. It's based in the UAE, which is, as it happens, hosting COP next year. The good news is that, in Irina's view, the energy future will be dominated by renewable sources by 2050. And in the shorter term, Mr. La Camera says that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is hastening the switch to renewables.
0: We are surely going to a new energy system that will be based largely on renewables and that will be complemented by hydrogen, mainly green hydrogen and sustainable use of biomass. There is this continued declining of the cost of renewables around here and is impressive. And in the last two years, we had a two digit reduction, both for solar and wind, including the offshore 13 percent. So I think that there is no doubt that uh, renewables are what we have for electrifying our system.
3: Are you finding that countries are coming to you now to, with more interest in the, in the potential of renewable energy to make them more energy secure and less vulnerable to, to these kind of threats that we've been seeing since the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine?
0: That is so, this is so evident. So this Ukraine crisis has certified the end of energy system centralized and based on fossil fuel. This is the end, because government has suddenly discovered that we cannot have 80% of our country dependent on fossil fuel, and everyone wants now to go for a system that could be more independent, is showing more dependencies is could be more resilient. So that's the reason for going for renewables, going for green hydrogen, and adding more actor into the energy system, where no one can use can catalyze the system. So this is an incredible push. And also, government has realized that also during the pandemic, U.S. showed sure to be the most resilient way to produce electricity that was renewable. So that's all good news. But the fact is, and I wish to repeat this because it's, uh, I don't want to be misunderstood, that all this is happening, but it is not happening at a speed and a scale that is consistent with the achievement of the Paris Agreement goal.
3: In terms of the outcome of COP27 and the multilateral process, where do you think we're going to be over the next 12 months?
0: And naturally, it's not an easy moment. No one will say when uh, this uh, crisis will uh, will end. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, what's happening is reinforcing the message to go for a decentralized energy system based largely on renewables.
3: That was Francesco La Camera, the head of IRENA. Yep, people are still around, Lara. As, you s- <laughs> as we were saying at the beginning, it's no longer just you we're and me, sadly, around. out here on our own. Yeah. Everyone is working late tonight. And tomorrow, it is Biodiversity Day.
4: Tomorrow is Green Day.
3: Green Day, yes. yes. And we'll, we'll let you all know if it is still as busy. I'm not sure. What do you think? I think it's going to be busy right to the end.
4: Yes, me too. Uh, We have a lot of civil society groups here every day still fighting to get all these things in the outcome document, mitigation, adaptation, and loss and damage.
3: We'd love to speak to a negotiator, but I can understand they're working terrible hours right yeah, now. Yeah, they're little. Maybe, maybe we'll get a couple of words out of them, let's, let's see. We will do our best to give you the behind the scenes view of what is happening here. We will be back tomorrow, as ever. Laura has to run off right now and do her newsletter. Sorry about that.
4: Yeah, that's fine, it's okay, I'm happy.
3: Well, I'm glad you're happy and I hope you'll be happy tomorrow as well. See you then.